And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, RB, Uncle Gene, still in 2024, still buried underneath a mountain of gear write-ups, RB. God, dude, <laughs> we, could, we complained about this a little bit last week, but yeah, it's, it is a rough time of the year for you boys. I think it's like the, time. I said to my wife, Distance, I like- MOI, forgiveness. <laughs> It's ugh. you know the you gotta uh, get out of this world. The tired, tired, uh, tired Popeyes employee meme, just like behind the store, like ugh. that's what it feels like. Kind of like I, I, <laughs> I just I love, loved your kind of weird thing. meme. I love the job. I love the job. Um, oh, I do too. It's just it's like uh, it's it's everything all at once, and it's it's just I can imagine what people like car writers feel like at auto shows when stuff comes out or stuff gets leaked or anything like that. So um, you know we get to write about something that is uh you know it's it's a it's a it's a hobby for people so it's it's a thing that people are excited to do and it's it's really fun i don't know what it's like in the in the commercial blinds industry but i'm pretty sure that the press releases for commercial blinds and, and new technology isn't quite as exciting <laughs> yeah you I, had I to go I commercial blinds dude. i'll say i think writing about gear is a lot more exciting than commercial blinds the only reason I use that I analogy is because I, I worked with someone uh, one time and uh, they they said, uh, it's like, oh, you're like back, which, uh, they were working as like a tech rep. And I, I said to them, I was like, so uh, back doing like golf, like what were you, what were you doing before? I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to try something different. And I worked at like a, like an interior store and did blinds. And let me tell you, no one walks into like a blind store, like super pumped, like buy the newest blinds, <laughs> but like people walk into a golf store and they're like really excited. And I was like, I've never forgot that. That was like, almost two decades ago now. And I always think about that, that, you know, we get to work in something that people are very excited about and, you know, it's exciting for us as well. Yeah. When, when my kids were younger, uh, you know, and you guys are probably going through this, you end up socializing with people that you normally wouldn't socialize with because your kids are friends with their kids or they're in the class or something. So I'm, I'm grilling one, I'm grilling one day and, uh, I'm talking to this guy and he was a nice guy. I'm talking to him. I'm like, so what do you do for a living? He's like, I'm a double-sided tape salesman. And I go, huh? And he goes, I guarantee you. He goes, what industry do you work in? We sell double-sided tape. And I'm like, the golf industry. He's like, yep, on grips, double-sided tape. It's like, see that box? Double-sided tape. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I would be so close to sticking my head in the oven if I had to wake up every morning and get motivated to sell double nothing, no knock. And if there's anybody out there selling double sided tape, hey, more power to you. But it just made me realize, man, we we work in a cool profession, and a lot of people have jobs that are grinds. So whenever I start feeling sorry for myself for bitching, like you two, um, I realize could be worse. So. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Every time I complain, I, I think I'm, I'm that much closer to getting fired or somebody stealing my job. So I'll, <laughs> I'll remain positive during during this whatever rough time is for, for myself and, and RB in particular as we continue to churn out content over on golf.com. But by the way, a couple of housekeeping notes that I got to bring up. So if you were to ask my wife, she would tell you that I am a terrible listener. She asked me to do things all the time. I never do them. But you know what, fair listener, you've been asking for years now because this podcast has been around for that long. You've been asking for years for a video version of the podcast. And I'm here to tell you that we are going to give you what you finally have been asking for, what you've been craving for. That's right. Fully Equipped now has a YouTube channel. 
which means that you're going to be able to watch this podcast. I don't know if it's going to be every week because trying to get all of us, as you, as you might've noticed, uh, serial killer is not here. He's at a tailor-made event. I think is, is he fitting? Is he, I think he's teaching people about the, the new QI 10. Am I right? I, I think yes, he's doing no? some education. I believe, uh, you know, he's, I think, uh, he I, think I think he's educating. I Chris would, is a good I, fitter. I, 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 think I think people, we, we don't talk about it enough and I know I kind of throw it to him a lot when it like, comes to these questions, but like Chris is a very good fitter and he's very good at explaining things and he's very good at demonstrating these things. I know like we share a lot of their, their, their video content on golf.com, but, but like, he's really good at what he does and the like you know for him to go do this he's being facilitated by uh, i think he's being brought in by tailormade obviously true spec sells a lot of tailormade gear they wanted to help fitters kind of help understand their gear and i think that's why he's there so you know again i think it's one of those things we don't give enough credit but he does he does a good job and gene you know what you do a but good he- job too Year of gratitude. Why do you, why do you have what? to give? Stop! Stop giving! Stop giving Gene his flowers. Just <laughs> at what? What? What do I do a good job at? What are you talking? Watching about? Watching golf balls with robots. Letting the robot rip. Uh, pressing the button. Yeah. I don't even know if Gene uh, knows how to press. I, the I don't. Button. E- I don't. I don't even do that. So <laughs> data collection. Don't call data collection. Emergency break glass. <laughs> well, yeah, and as you mentioned, Chris is an amazing fitter, and he can't talk about it because you usually have to pay to say the names, but he's worked with, he's worked with major winners before on their gear. He's worked with plenty of tour pros. He's, he's a really good fitter. And Oh, by the way, you can actually work with them. I've had people that have asked me, can I get fit by Chris? Hell yeah, you can. You're going to have to go to to Scottsdale to do it or pay to fly him out to wherever you live, (laughs) but he can, he can fit you for sure. hundred percent. Anyway, back to the, back to the YouTube channel. So, Fully Equipped has a YouTube channel. We're going to be at, uh, I, I can't believe this, but somebody actually created the YouTube channel as at Fully Equipped Golf with, with the at sign. Um, I'm, not, I'm not joking. So it is at Fully Equipped Golf. Well, that's how YouTube works now though. Instagram handle. You got to get up with it. It yeah. does. Yeah. So you can, cause you yeah, can yeah, take no. people in videos. Yeah. Yeah. So we're yeah, there. So you can, we're, th- we're there. We've, we've got some videos from our new club test debrief series which is where RB and I, I call it, it's basically like, uh, man, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but I, I watch a lot of the, the housewife shows on Bravo with my wife. You, you know what? You should have kept that as your inside voice. I'm just saying that that <laughs> would just, be a recommendation for future yeah. confessions. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, of Real Housewives of uh, of Salt Lake City. It's a it, it's it's it, this this last this last season. I got to tell you. It was uh, it was electric, and they Please stop sh- talking now. This is a golf equipment <laughs> podcast. I don't care. I'm you know I I lost I lost that that shame gene a long time ago. So uh, I, I can welcome just, to my world. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you if you do watch the shows or if your wife does or your significant other, they do a recap where they have everybody on the couch and and Andy Cohen who's the host kind of grills them and ask them questions. This is the same feel. So RB and I grilled our our writers and editors who were testing the gear. And we've started to release those videos. And I think they're great because we don't have a bunch of great golfers. We have a pretty eclectic mix and everybody's searching for something new. And I think you're going to find that in the videos. We've got some just recently, we have one on TaylorMade's QI10 lineup. Uh, we've got one with Jack Hirsch from our staff, who is a plus handicap on the new Mizuno MP24 irons. 
uh, Callaway's Paradigm AI Smoke with a nine handicap. So anyway, the videos are really good. They're a little bit on the longer side, but honestly, I, I'm hearing from people that they like the, the longer form content that we're doing. So we're going to keep doing more of it. It's not going to be on the YouTube channel. We're also going to have the podcast, hopefully all episodes, more than likely 90%, 80% of the episodes are going to be there if you want to, if you want to consume them on the YouTube channel. And soon enough, Gene, we're going to be getting into the robotic content that you and I in our B shot out in San Diego. That'll be coming, I would say, probably the end of this month, beginning of February is what I'm thinking for the release of the, the insights. And then we'll do a podcast, as I mentioned on the last pod, where we basically just give Gene the keys to the pirate ship and and let him rip for, for a full hour on all the fun insights. Well, and just to tease that a little bit, uh, you know, this week has been nuts and we're going to get into it a little bit with all of the releases, but man, there is a target rich environment out there for listeners who are interested in a new driver. I mean, it is bonkers, all of the different ones. And there's... (laughs) There's too many to, to to recap right now, but stay tuned because we're going to go deep and we're going to give you, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, not to knock competitors, but, you know, I sit there and scroll through Instagram and watch these guys and they're like, yeah, it's just, man, I flushed this. I really flushed this. It felt really good. And then they proceed to read the press release that, you know, the OEM generated and it's like, it's so amazing to have data and be able to go deep and go, this is why this club works. This is what this club does. And I, I'm just, I'm excited to be able to share that information, you know, as soon as, uh, as soon as these clubs become available to the public. Yeah. Won't be long. So be on the lookout for, for our robotic insights episode and all those videos on the new fully equipped YouTube channel, which we are also going to be, sharing with Tour Validated. So if you haven't seen Tour Validated's content, they review a lot of the same products that we do, but we're trying to kind of break it up because it's just so much out there. It seemed it seemed kind of crazy to duplicate review videos. So they're going to be reviewing. We're going to be doing club test debriefs. We're going to have the robotic insights and the podcast. So there, there's going to be more than enough gear goodness coming out on the YouTube platform in the coming months. Uh, one other thing that I did want to bring up, we're not going to be doing fully equipped hotline this week, but I also want to give it a plug. We didn't do it last week. If you want to leave us a voicemail, I promise you we're going to get to your question as long as it's good and not a a five minute question. And the phone number there is 602-935-4974. Again, that's 602-935-4974. Leave us a voicemail, rant, ramble, keep it under a minute two minutes, maybe. And we will get to your question on a future podcast. All right, boys, with housekeeping out of the way, what do we want to start with? Tiger. Do we want to start with? Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have been talking about Tiger Woods on, on the pod for, God, I mean, months now. And about the same, about the same freaking topic. And I guess if you go all the way back to to the twenty two Masters, it's been it's been almost a couple of years now. Twenty two Masters was where it all really started, and that was when Tiger showed up 
with a pair of Footjoy golf golf shoes. And he basically set the internet on fire. Everybody started to wonder what was going on. Why is Tiger wearing Footjoys? Where'd the Nikes go? He's still wearing Nike apparel, but he's got the Footjoys on his on his feet. There wasn't a whole lot that that came out of the Footjoy camp. Tiger's camp didn't really want to say anything. We all hypothesized it had to do with stability, which I still believe was the main reason why he he went to it based on what he had been using in the past from Nike, the the free version, which was just, I mean, with all the injuries that he had been dealing with and all the surgeries he had gone through, there's no way he should be in a free shoe, something that's moving with his foot. He needs a really solid footbed. That's where he gets the foot joy shoes. Fast forward to, you know, the end of the end of last year, he shows up to the hero and he is photographed on one day during a practice around wearing an unmarked prototype shoe. Then he wears the foot joys in the tournament he plays in the foot joys at the father son. And I mean, look the, from that point forward, it was, it was no laying up credit to them as being the ones that really lit the, lit the match and, and set everything in motion. But they mentioned that tiger and Nike were on the outs and everybody started to wonder if it was true. Tiger got asked about it. He gave a, a basically non-answer, and then here we are in January, and just a couple of days ago, Tiger announces that he and Nike are splitsville. After 27 years, Tiger and the swoosh are no more. He didn't. I don't know, guys. What did you think about his? Whoever wrote that that statement on his social media feed, they either did a terrible job or the best job ever because it was beyond cryptic. I think it's by intention. Um, and yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that, that go through the communications at, at the level where, where Tiger's at. But I think overall, it's going to be interesting to see like what happens from a shoe perspective, from a soft goods perspective. I mean, I'm not a big, like, I don't, I like good clothing. Right. And was, was Charlie wearing Grayson like mm-hmm. uh, a sign? That was one, um, you know, there was a, I, I read it, or earlier this week, I don't remember where the quote was. A reporter a long time ago, when uh, when Tiger signed, I don't know what, if it was like the, one of the first tournaments he played in, but his mother was still wearing uh, Reeboks, and she's like, "Oh, why are you wearing Reeboks? Tiger's at Nike." And she says, "Well, they paid him; they don't pay me." Um, and then I thought of that when when Charlie was had the had the grace and stuff on, but you know, beyond the shoes and the clothing, like like golf glove, like what golf glove is he gonna wear? Like is he gonna go foot joy? Because he's already got the foot joy. Um, shoes that he's wearing like that's kind of a fascinating little like nugget and you know i think tailor-made and adidas was a long-running relationship obviously they're separate now um but look everyone knows there's there's way more money in soft goods than there's hard goods like let's not not beat around the bush here so with that in mind if tailor-made was going to go after a soft goods market why would you not launch it with probably the most recognizable golfer on the planet and that's probably, I want to say that's the way it's going to go. And even then he owns the TW logo so he could license it to wherever he wants. Obviously he's going to be wearing it, but to be able to say that, you know, I, maybe we'll, you do like a, a Grayson drop or something like that, or have a core on like a core product that you wear, whatever it happens to be. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting because 
Nike should have, and this is like uh, Colin Landforce. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, or Instagram. He's a he talks about a lot of stuff, manufacturing, soft goods, product, consumer products. It's it's really uh, very interesting. And he said, like, why? How come Tiger or Nike fumbled Tiger so bad? Like, it should have been Jordan, right? And like, it's not an original take, but like, how did that not become a Jordan brand for golf? Like, it should just become like this all time thing of like everyone just wants to wear Tiger gear, Tiger gear, Tiger gear. His name is freaking Tiger. Like it's how cool is that, right? Like all of these things like build up and it's like somehow they fudged it. And so uh, someone else is going to have that opportunity. So now let's see what they do with it. Even though he's older now, I mean, when was the last time Michael Jordan threw a, 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 a shot up in an NBA game and like they're selling a lot of freaking Jordan shoes. So if they can somehow harness that, that branding and, and do it right, I think someone's going to really capitalize here. I don't know. You know, Tiger has always been segmented to golf. I think I think Jordan was a bit of a unicorn in that he transitioned in, you know, uh, like my alma mater, UCLA, their their football team is all Jordan based. And it's like, wait a minute, that's the wrong sport, you know, but he's he's transcended basketball and he's obviously transcended it into fashion. And that's uh, yes. Tiger Woods is one of the top most recognizable athletes, but I think he was always in the golf lane. Whereas Jordan, he, he, he did some really amazing things in that he was able to transition out of basketball. And, and most importantly, sports are important for Nike, but fashion is critical for Nike. And Jordan is transcended into fashion and that's what makes his, his brand so powerful <laughs> Whereas I think Tiger, as big of a name as he is, still is mostly, you know, a golf-related um, brand. And it's a niche sport. We should point that out. I mean, I think, you know, yeah. the, the, what was it? The, the, the Tiger Woods Masters got like, what was it? Nine. A big, it was a lot of people watching the Masters when Tiger won in 2019. And it was very highly rated. But like the, the recently, like hugely panned, Golden Globes got like 9 million viewers. So like, let's put golf into perspective here that it still has a much yeah. smaller audience than probably like a weeknight NBA game too. So it's a good point, Gene. Yeah. And I, I think Gene, I think you nailed it when you said that, that Jordan transcends because I mean, if you look at, if you look at the national championship game, there was a Jordan brand on the field during the national championship yeah. game, Michigan yeah. first time, yeah, first time crazy. ever. And it is in, there was, there was no, there was no Nike, like true Nike with the swoosh brand on the field. It was Adidas and it was Jordan. So Jordan definitely has that cachet where even though a lot of the, a lot of the kids that are probably wearing his shoes, never watched Jordan in a live game. No. They probably watched him no. on YouTube. Yeah. It, it's it, they see the logo and they automatically are like, that's Jordan. That is like the gold standard. I got to have those shoes. They come out in all the different colorways. I just, to me, if I look back at Tiger's time at Nike, um, I think about the commercials. There were so many great commercials. I, I wrote a story this week for golf.com, reheated an old one uh, back from 2020 on my seven favorite Tiger Woods Nike commercials. God, there were some really good ones out there. But the... The one feeling that I always got about Tiger's time with Nike is that Tiger wanted to play golf and he was willing to play golf with Nike equipment because he was getting paid so well. 
but I never really got the sense that he was all that interested or at excited about being a pitch man. I, I just, that's why I, I almost wonder if you look at, and there's been a lot of chatter about like, where is Tiger going to go now? Is he going to start his own brand from scratch? Is he going to join a sub brand from uh, another manufacturer? I, I just can't see Tiger starting his own brand from scratch. I just don't really know if he if he wants to do that. Is he that excited about starting his own like apparel line and having his own shoe? I think if he has the right people in place, like he did when he was at Nike, to help make that a reality, I think he's all he's on board with it. As long as it doesn't take a ton of time. I, whereas I, I look at Jordan now, and you know he's got a lot of brilliant people at the the Jordan brand that are that are making it run. But I don't know. I just I, I I see Jordan being more involved in in his apparel and what that looks like more so than I could see Tiger doing the same thing. So if if I was going to put my money somewhere, I'm thinking he he ends up with a sub brand as part of an existing apparel brand. I, I think RB. You know, you mentioned Grayson and Charlie wearing it. Justin Thomas is a Grayson guy. Tiger and, and JT are are really close. I could see Grayson being being a logical landing spot. Um, you know, that's that's probably of of the ones that have been mentioned is is the most likely for me. But you never know. I mean, I I, I saw out there on social somebody had mentioned um, uh, on cloud and Federer and maybe some sort of a deal where he gets his own like signature shoe and kind of his own, his own like wing within on cloud for his brand maybe. But again, it's like how, like how many, how many irons in the fire does tiger have now? He's got, he's still trying to play golf and apparently more than just the masters. I mean, there's his statement on social alluded to the fact that we'd see him in LA and I know that's his event, but I'm thinking based on the way he played at hero and how he looked at, at the PNC, I think we're going to see Tiger tee it up at Genesis. So I think he's going to try and play some, you know, he had mentioned maybe like one tour event a month. I mean, that's 12. That's a way more than I think anybody expected Tiger to play, but I, I think we'll see him there. So he's still playing. He's got his, he's got his course design business. He's got, you know, TGR. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't really know how, how much he wants to start his own brand. So Give me well, like he shows up with a Grayson, I think is probably the most logical. And and then you have to ask a question. And you know, I I'm sure Nike was asking the same question. We've talked about how they just got too big for golf. But, you know, was the TW brand moving the needle? You know, it, it I don't it, he didn't transcend. You know, it was really interesting when Tiger first signed with Nike for I think it was like the first year, maybe two. They tried to put him in all this stylish, flashy stuff, and he hated it. And he said, you know, and he kind of put his 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 foot down and said, um, "I'm a golfer. I I grew up with traditional golf wear. I want to wear traditional. I don't want to. Basically, you know, the 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 subtext was, I don't want to look like a clown out there. I want to look like a professional athlete. <laughs> he did and, wear he did wear pants that were about." Uh, that you could fit like two or three grown men in 
Gene. Yeah, the, the, those 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 fashions don't age well when you God. watch those clips on. on Although Jason social. Day's wearing but, them now, the Jinko pants. Yeah, I don't think those are going to age well. Anyways, but but it's it's interesting because by not pursuing the fashion route, he potentially cut off. And and I I respect him for doing it because you know you don't want to look like daily out there or somebody you know nuts. But um, in doing so, he probably didn't push the envelope and create that kind of fashion, uh, you know, transcendence that you know Jordan brand did. Jordan didn't do it while he was a, a, a Nike athlete, but you know, Tiger had the opportunity because he doesn't have to wear a uniform; he can wear whatever he wants within reason when he goes out there. Um, so, you know, once again, he's 47. There's, there's whole generations. I mean, my kids barely know who Tiger Woods is, you know, they know the name, but they don't know a lot about him. So they're not going to be as driven to, you know, purchase his clothing as, you know, some long in the tooth 50 year old and, I, you know, I, I don't, don't know. know how... I think it depends on where, where he ends up. If he ends up at a Grayson and it's, it's a little more fashion forward, I could see the, the younger crowd just like jumping on. Oh yeah. Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. This is, this is great looking stuff. If he ends up somewhere else in, <laughs> I feel like I'm bashing the Jason day and the, the Melbourne. You really are with, the I am, pants, I'm, I'm, I am, an, I'm an asshole. I am an asshole. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, if he shows up in anything that's a little like out there from a, from a fashion perspective, I could see, I could see it going sideways pretty quickly. So I think, he, I think he'll choose, I think he'll choose a safe choice that I, I, I do. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a little more fashion forward and, um, cleaner, like more, more like the recent Nike stuff that we've seen from Tiger, not the, not the old stuff from the late nineties, early two thousands that you everybody like, takes uh, pictures of when he had the, like, you know, pencil waist in the, and the pants that were, you know, it was basically like a size 30 waist. But if you got down to the right around the, the ankle, that was like a size like 34. <laughs> They're the, just and like the shirts look, and the shirts look like they were double yeah, XL. Yeah, like, I you know. know, they're ridiculous. Bought at the, bought at the big and tall store. Yeah. Anyway, all right, that's enough Tiger in in, in Nike talk. Uh, before we jump into the gear, which is I think why everybody listens to this podcast, let's let's remind you that golf.com has a membership called Inside Golf, and you get $140 worth of benefits for just 40 bucks. Um, you also get a magazine subscription. But this year we're actually do, doing something really cool. RB mentioned it on the last pod. We are going to be offering inside golf members the chance to join these bucket list golf experiences. And the first one is going to be three days and two nights at Pinehurst, where you're going to get a chance to check out Pinehurst number two, two weeks before the U.S. Open. No big deal. It's a really cool experience, RB. Are you getting an invite to this, by the way? I, I don't... It says that there are going to be golf.com editors there. Are we going to have to draw straws to see who goes? There, we're, we're trying to figure out a potential <laughs> short game wedge experience fitting slash discussion oh. mini open yeah. forum kind of thing. So um, yeah. fingers crossed. I'm a big fan of, of uh, Pioneer. You know, it was there like not too long ago. Um, and I think 
not just the the idea of like seeing behind the scenes of number two, but also getting to play the new number 10 from Doak. And also, um, again, there's a lot of like, there's some pretty cool experiences as far as dining and all, all kinds of stuff that's built into this. So, um, and again, you're staying at the Carolina Hotel a couple, a couple of weeks before the U.S. Open, uh, which is pretty neat. So, um, yeah, I think for those who are, who are like kind of golf sickos, like the people that we kind of talk to here, um, there's going to be some gear stuff. There's going to be some instruction stuff uh, all going down uh, while we're there. So um, it's uh, I think it's going to be a pretty cool thing to, to take part in. And, and, you know, hopefully we'll be there. We'll have some some fun discussions and, and show off some gear and show off some fitting and discuss all kinds of different things. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to that point where I think, uh, you know, we want to be able to have those kind of bigger group things. Cause we've done the live podcast in the past. Um, not that it would be something like along those lines, but getting people together face to face and, you know, talking about the things that we love, including golf and equipment and, and fitting and all that stuff. Um, we want to be able to share that. So. Yeah. There's also going to be a putting contest where you can win a, a mirror putter. So there's going to be some freebies. And in addition to, to winning some cool swag. So anyway, if you want to learn more about the trip to Pinehurst to check out number two, just two weeks before the US Open, play some golf, hang out with some golf.com editors, maybe myself or RB, if we actually make the cut, uh, go check out inside golf on golf.com. Again, it's just 40 bucks for the year and you get a ton of good content, including a lot of gear content. So go check it out. All right. So this was a very big week and I'm just going to start off by saying, I, I really hate how the manufacturers do these releases. I wish that they would all get in a room together and they would look at the calendar and they would say, Hey, who wants uh, who wants January 9th? Any, anybody? Which, which OEM wants January 9th? That could do, be your day to release. Do it like an NFL draft. Yeah. Yeah. Like draft just day. Draft. Yeah, yeah, just just go down the list and and just if you don't want to release everything all at once, just like pick a couple of days. And and then once you pick that day, nobody else can release content or any any other major gear that day. I had so because, many oh, see, I, I had so many messages uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday two days ago? Oh, God, it's a blur. It's a blur. Yeah. Anyways, like the the ping came out 10k uh dry like G G430 max 10k, big name. Yeah. Uh people were like you know, Spider-Man meme who copied who Taylor made blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah. And that's, and it's like, yeah, that's guys. That's it's not problem. how it works. It's yeah, like, I know. you know, car, this car has four wheel drive. Look, they released a new car with four wheel drive, like adapted four wheel drive. Like guys, like, you know, it's not like, well, maybe Gene knows cause he's more in that, that area more of the time. Like, I don't think engine, I don't think, I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, engineers from other companies and designers from other companies, they hang out with each other all the time. Like, you know, it's, we see it like people work for different companies and they remain friends and all that stuff. I know it exists. Um, but people still don't just like, I know people at other like, golf publications and, and do podcasts and all kinds of stuff like that. Like, yes, we chat and intermingle at events and all kinds of things, but like there's all things that we all keep close to the chest. And I don't know what someone's like, do two engineers get drunk and like both talk about 10 K and then they went back to their respective places and were like, guys, I got this idea. I, I don't think that's how it worked. I think it's, <laughs> It's the concept of, first of all, 10K is a very nice marketing term. Let's be very clear on that, okay? Like, to put this number out there, it's very clean. It's very easy to sell. It's it's maybe not that easy to understand. Check out the YouTube page or my Instagram page. I did do a little thing on that. Our fully equipped page. And we're we're going to talk about Try that, Try and too. explain some of that stuff. But, like, all of those things kind of come together to create, like, okay, let's strive for this or strive for that. And um, 
just like sports cars, all like sports cars kind of look all the same a little bit. Like the really high end ones, like there's variations, but like angles of things because like you're looking at variations of like okay, well this is like the angles and draft angles and how speed and aerodynamics work and all that stuff. Like if you look at all the F1 cars, they all look very similar. But if you dive into the details of the aerodynamics and all these things, they start to separate themselves, right? So they're all F1 cars. They're all just slightly different. And, you know, we've got two drivers that have 10K MOI, but they're still very different drivers and they do different things for different people. It's just the timing of it sucks. Well, that's true. <laughs> like, And that that's, the, that's the, the part. And I get it. I'm sure maybe one of them got wind that the other one was going on the ninth and they both thought, like, we got to go. We got to go on the ninth. Nobody's ever done done 10k before. We've we've got to we've got to get it out that same day, even if we're even if it's again going to turn into the Spider Man meme, and and it did. But I mean, they're both incredible drivers. We've we've tested them on the robot, tested them out on the golf course. They are special, and and the drivers that we are are specifically referencing. So Ping's G430 lineup has already been out. Um, they waited a little bit to release the the LST fairway but the the G40 G430 lineup as a whole has has been out now for a year the the big difference here is that they're adding a driver to that lineup it just which is the Ping G430 Max 10k and i got to tell you man this driver is incredibly special i i had a chance to test it when i was out at Ping HQ and I'm used to the balls that I'm hitting off the heel or the toe. And like, I was, I, I don't try to hit balls off the heel or the toe, but I was really trying to, to see what happened, what would happen to the numbers. And I couldn't get to spin guys like up over 2,800. And it's just, it was just so flipping consistent. And it matched up with a conversation that I had had just before I went to ping with, with Cameron champ and, and, Cam is using uh, G430 Max 10K, and he had said the same thing. He's like, man, I went to I went to Ping, and I was pounding this thing, and he's one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy on the PGA Tour. And even he was noticing really consistent spin rates. And, and we've talked about it before. The faster you swing, the more those mishits, the, especially the spin rates, the more those, those spin rates, the deltas become magnified. So you'll see, you'll see them jump depending on where that ball impacts the face. But... The design of this driver RB, I want you to because you you did the write up. The design of this driver is is the reason why people are going to hit this driver. They're going to be like, man, I normally hit it like twenty six, twenty seven hundred spin out of the center, and and I'm only hitting it like twenty nine hundred on my misses. Like, what the heck's going on? Why is that the case? Well, it really comes down to the idea that once you get mass positioned away from the face and around the perimeter you get stability, right? It's, you know, it's the idea of this ring that's harder to spin. Uh, that is what MOI is, moment of inertia, the amount of force it takes to get something to start moving. And in the case of a driver, it's in, in a circular motion. It's around the centered uh, axis when it sits on a thing, a platform. And what the legal limit is, is 5,900, but for driver, but there's no limit on, and that's, again, heel toe, that's sitting and going in a, in a circle. But there's no limit top to bottom. And that's the thing that these engineers are starting to look at is, well, if we can stabilize the head, not just in the heel toe direction, but in the, in the vertical direction, well, all of a sudden we start to see less and less spin fluctuation. And what I'm curious, 
with Gene is to talk about is the like, you know, I tested personally, I'm not a robot, the Kirkland driver. And it was pretty good off the middle, but I found that spin was all over the place once I started missing it, especially lower on the head, which is generally my my miss. And I was like, okay, like it's a fine driver, but it's not as forgiving as other products on the market. And for a lot of consumers, it's still a really good driver. Like again, I'm not saying that because I'm wearing a Costco hoodie. Okay, like um, I was going to say, if you, if you're watching the the pot right now, I, I didn't bring that up at the beginning, but I figured people would start to notice you are wearing a Costco, yeah, thing, which I I am jealous about. Kind of one of their I, like fashion drops, I guess. I don't know. Friend of mine, I paid for. It. I didn't. I did not. This was not. This is not free. This is not a sponsorship. Um, it came with. It came with his irons. Someone, yeah. Someone showed me. Uh, someone sent me a picture, and then uh, I was like, "Can you get me one of those?" Because they're in the states. They didn't do it in Canada. So, anyways, thanks to Don. He's a good guy. Um, but anyways, there's a lot more fluctuation in that, and that's what you see when I hit like a persimmon driver, a smaller driver. The bigger you go, the the more MOI it has, the less resist, the, the less it's going to twist when you start seeing mishits, and. For for golfers out there, that high low, which we again we see on the robot, you hit one high on the face, it launches higher and spins less. Hit it lower on the face, it launches lower and spins more. It kind of neutralizes and kind of finds the center point. That's the whole point. That's the whole goal and design goal of putting MOI into a driver. But when you are able to maximize it across the board, now you've got something where you start missing it and you start to see these very very normalized numbers across the face and like. Even if we go back a number of years, like drivers did not have that, did they, Gene? Like we saw a lot more even three, four years ago. I know I wasn't here three, four years ago. You were still hitting golf balls three, four years ago. Like the difference on a low face strike on a lot of drivers from five years ago is hugely different than it is now on the modern stuff because they're they've neutralized it so much more. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. And it's it's really interesting. As you were um, as you were talking, I was just looking over the the numbers on the G four thirty max. Don't give 10K. too much away, Uncle Gene. No, I won't give too much away. But what I will say, just to kind of tease it a little bit, is um, on six of the eight points off of the center, the spin didn't vary much more than one hundred and fifty RPMs, and we're talking about you know, spins that are normally 2,500. So, I mean, that is, um, that, that is really, really low. And to RB's point, what's really interesting is the high and low spin numbers. And Jay Walt talked about this with champ. Um, you, you just, you don't see much of a change And that normally, normally just, I'm not going to name names of a driver, but normally, when you increase half an inch and go up on the face, you lower the spin by three, 400 RPMs and vice versa going down. And they've almost have that, which is really wild. You know, when you, when you look at the numbers and you can see the benefits of the high MOI, um, really kind of adding consistency, uh, to, launch and spin or not launch numbers because launch is going to change based on um uh role especially but uh spin numbers staying consistent uh with different impact points that that is a uh that is that's a new phenomena of this um of this technology that's being introduced yeah and i, I think i think you nailed the reason why we're starting to see pros we're going to mention another pro here in a second who 
change to the new TaylorMade QI 10 Max. But I think that's why you're seeing pros start to look at these drivers is because if you can dial in, if you can dial in the the launch and the spin on these heads, because the the spin deltas across the rest of the face are, are so tight, it, it's almost, it's one of those situations where if you're a tour pro, you're like, why the hell wouldn't I use this driver? This, you know, and I think I think that's why we're starting to see some of these fast players, some of these guys that are are crazy accurate, like Colin Morikawa. I think that's why you're starting to see them go, man. Why am I playing a low spin head? If I, I mean, if if I can get the if I can get the spin numbers down where where I need them, give me give me the max driver. It's kind of like the uh, the last iteration was, and I've mentioned this before. Um, it's been a while, but the, the, the M5 driver from TaylorMade twist face, all that stuff was one of the first drivers to have it. I think it had the first injection ports as well. Um, but anyways, it was the last driver that TaylorMade did the quote unquote tour head for the consumer, as well as tour players where it was 430 CCs or 425 CC, somewhere around that area. So there was the M5 and the M5 tour. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, Rory's going to use the tour head. And everyone's going to like, you, you'll see a lot more of the tour head on, on with players. And then guys like Brooks Kepka had the weight slammed up to the front and at the heel or at the back and at the heel or something. No, no, it was, yeah, back heel because it had the weight track along the back and then at the front. So he was looking for this, this particular bias in the club head. And nobody on tour used the tour head. And it was like, well, why did we do this? And it was like, well, because especially with that driver, again, carbon on the crown and the sole with a weight track, which is like, again, was pretty unique at the time to be able to have a larger driver that you could con- really control spin and had the twist face. So you're, you're starting to help normalize spin around the face as it was, as it was kind of, as you started missing around the, the center and there starts to become this less and less need for the smaller head for the more precise player, because they know they're not going to be that precise. And if they can normalize numbers with a, with a bigger driver, why would you not do that? And it's very different from say an iron where when ping originally did the blueprint, which I know they just released the new stuff and we probably touch on that maybe just a little bit, but the whole idea was aim small, miss small with those smaller blades. And even then with the new one, they said, okay, you know what guys, maybe we went a little far with the last one. We should probably make it just a little bit bigger and a little more forgiving. But as far as the driver is concerned, no one's going guys, we need to go smaller again. We need to go smaller. Yes. You can go lower spin, uh, we're seeing that with a number of drivers and we'll probably talk about the next podcast. There's a few drivers that are coming up that are very, very low spin that are going to benefit those players. But when you can fine tune spin and you're already a pretty consistent player, why would you use something less forgiving? That's the, that's the biggest argument that I make for when players, even when they look at irons, like Luke Donald just came out and did his little what's in the bag. And he's using the two, four, fives throughout the entire set. This is a guy that used to use MP33s and then used a mix set. And now he's just like, screw it. Give me hollow body, baby. I'm ready to look at, look at Adam Scott, Adam Scott as well. Right? Like he's, he's gone through a bunch of different products uh, and gone to something a little bit more forgiving again. And yes, I love those clubs. I still like using those old blades and stuff, but there is a benefit, especially when it comes to the driver, especially when spin robs you of distance and variations in spin rob you of distance. Having something that's more forgiving is a huge help. And we see it time and time again, we have freak. We have the freaking robot numbers to show people that it is way more consistent when you miss with one yeah. of these golf clubs. It's all there. Yeah. It's in science. It's physics. It's right there. I think the stigma around 
around max drivers is is going to start to dissipate this year for for better players i should say i agree i think i well, think that, I, I think that stigma is going to go because as you start to see guys like cam champ and Kal Morikawa start to accept these drivers and the benefits behind them i think you'll start just i think regular golfers are going to start to go and and again I, we've talked about this on the pod i don't think that you should look at what's being used on tour and and treat that as as like the golden rule for for like that particular product like if it works for tour pro then it's got then it's got to work for, you know i mean go out and test go go to get with a fitter find the best product for you but i do think it's going to break the stigma behind max drivers being for mid to high handicappers well but but i would i would make the argument that this is one of the first years that the max drivers are providing performance characteristics that are beneficial to tour players 100 whereas, whereas in years past they simply were designed to launch higher and and to be honest spin a little bit more for a lot of these guys that are people golfers that had trouble getting the ball in the air so uh this year it's it's not all high launch low spin i mean there's some real exceptions that are just amazing like the uh like the AI smoke, but all the ones that we've named, I was just going through the data as we were talking about it. And man, they're for their launch angle, they're really low spinning. So it gets these guys, the distance that they need, especially at the higher velocity. And then it gives them some love on off center hits that they normally don't get with the LS products. And so they're getting the best of both worlds. Look out, USGA! We got more problems coming. <laughs> These guys are smoking it, and they can. Don't, miss it I'll say, don't place. worry. People have already started to pick up on that. We, I had sent out a tweet a little while back teasing some of the drivers that were coming, and I mentioned one in particular where the the center geometric center and low center spin rates were were basically identical. And somebody said, "Well, you know, why is it the USGA looking at drivers?" We talked about it on the podcast. They are. Oh, they, they are looking are. at drivers. That tweet that's, got that's some the, run. That tweet did get some. That tweet got some run, and it's because. And I'm. I'm. I mean, I like a lot of this, the people that were kind of replying to those things. Um, I like the idea, and I. Everyone knows where I kind of sit on the rules and the rollback and all that stuff. Um, but they were. They, they kind of <laughs> caught that crowd, and they were like, "Do you see this? This is why we need to do this kind of changes." So, um, yeah, but it helps. Yeah. It does help regular golfers, and I think. When we do talk and about that's this. all that matters, man. Exactly. That's all that matters exactly. because that's that's who's buying this product. Tour pros are not buying the product. Yeah. The the people that are buying the product and keeping these manufacturers in business, they're they're mid to high handicappers who want to get better. And the only way to get better is to have better equipment. And sometimes you gotta you gotta pay to to get better equipment. So I, I think this again, to Gene's point, I agree. These are not these are not your your dad's max drivers, so to speak. This this is this is a new wave of Max drivers that I don't even really know if they should even have the Max name on them. They just they feel like a unicorn, man. I they really do. I think it helps the ping the ping G four thirty Max unicorn. Yeah, I, I mean, really, that's that. I know it's the ten k number, and that's what people are are gonna are gonna notice on these. But um, speaking of ten k RB, we got to talk about your video, man. You want to touch this on is, that? Yes, of course, because I think it's really important. And I'm not saying anybody out there is going to be trying to cheat. 
<laughs> you're not cheating. You're not trying. Is that baseball? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I say, yeah, exactly. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But like walk, like walk people through here. Like this 10 K has a lot of benefits, but I talk if you're, if you're somebody that uses lead tape, like you kind of got to be a little bit careful about yeah. how much you're adding. I, I talked to some, some people at, at a number of OEMs and I asked this question directly and I, and I didn't want to like send them out during any presentation or anything. And I was like, so you asked it at you asked it at one of the summits we went. I to, technically which did. I, was, I guess which I, I loved. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate. Brought some questions asked. from, as Gene said, the people that just read press releases, and they're like, "Oh, this guy kind of like understands what he's talking about." <laughs> um, <laughs> the, yeah, was the, you hear that? Hear that? That was just the town of me tooting my horn, anyways. Um, so, <laughs> what happens is when you have a driver that is at 10k, the goal in most of these these designers is they're getting it very very close to 5900. So let's just say out of like argument, they're making it. Rate right at 5,900 or 5,850, right? And that doesn't really take a lot to get to that number. And you've got the 4,100 top to bottom. So there you go. You got your 10K. Now, the thing is to increase MOI, you have to do two things. One, you make it bigger, which they can't because all these drivers are kind of at the limit for the USGA, or you add mass. It's very simple. You make something heavier, it's harder to move, right? You got a small rock and a big rock. Which one's harder to move? The big rock, right? As long as they're made out of the same material, okay? <laughs> We're going to get to the near nitty gritty of that stuff. But the bigger it is, the harder it is to move. And well, if you've got a driver that's already at say 5850 or really close to 5900 and you cut it down and you're like, I want to increase the swing weight and you start slamming lead tape on the heel and toe of this thing around the perimeter, guess what? You throw that on an MOI calculating machine, it will come out above 5900 and that driver becomes immediately non-conforming. So... This is one of those weird things where, you know, as I said in my video, like you're at your normal country club and someone cuts a driver down and throws a bunch of lead tape on it. Are you going to go to the club pro and be like, hey, can you get the MOI machine out of the basement next to like the smoothie and the ice machine? Like we need to get on the first tee for men's night. It's not happening. Could we do a robot test? I'm just thinking as I would love to do that. Could, could Could we do a test on the robot where we just take the like, like a stock 10k head and then one with one with like a, a truckload of lead tape on it so we, and see like see out see out, see what the performance sure. benefits are if these drivers are Absolutely. at 200 and let's say five grams total head weight or maybe some of them are a little bit heavier and you take five percent of the total mass so you add 10 percent roughly to like the heel and toe this thing is illegal like there is no chance that this thing is not non-conforming at this point and to be able to do that, well, now again, no one you could technically get called on it. I don't know, but it's just like it is a way to make one of these drivers non conforming. And what happened is, and the reason this I thought of this was because the Wilson Triton, which Wilson, I love you, new Dynapower stuff is great. Okay. But you had a you had a moment there with the television show where you had some a really good thing and then you had something that wasn't necessarily the greatest. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, why you brought in all those people to design golf clothes and you had designers, anyways? Nonetheless, the Triton had like four thousand parts to it. You could pull it apart and add a carbon sole plate, or add a steel or titanium sole plate, whatever it was. But if you got that headway to a certain point, because you had the steel sole plate and then you added the extra heavy weights on the heel and toe, well, now because it was so heavy, the thing became non-conforming. I believe it was from not only from a COR perspective because it maintained so much momentum because of the head mass at that head size but it was also 
non-conforming. I believe from an MOI perspective, I'm almost certain it was MO, It was the the non-conforming was based on the uh, the COR measurement once it got to a certain weight. But it's also the idea of getting it very heavy, and then it becomes illegal because the MOI is too high. And the USJ went back and they started testing all these different variations of all these different weights, which is what they do, which makes me think it's part of the reason why the the 10k max 10k or whatever max 10k doesn't have an adjustable weight on the bottom of it because now it comes with 28 grams at the back of it i don't know how heavy ping makes those weights but i'm probably they're probably going to say and they probably know they probably have some spreadsheet somewhere that says do not build it with a bigger heavier weight than this or it will become illegal it will become non-conforming same for tailor-made whatever that weights in the back of that driver if you get it higher than a certain point it will become non-conforming so it is one of those questions of build when you are building a driver. Now, both these companies are not going to put non-conforming drivers out the door. But if you got yourself a roll of lead tape, let me tell you, you could build one, but you probably shouldn't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you want to. Well, before you send all of these knuckleheads off to slap lead tape on their clubs, <laughs> you know, you, oh, it's already happening. Magic. No, 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 no. Let me, let me give you a little warning. Um, the, there's a reason in, in, you know, I tested all the square headed drivers back in the day and there's a reason that MOI kind of came back. And what people don't realize is MOI is resistance to twisting and impact, right? Well, guess what? The golf swing is a rotational swing. We don't swing on a pendulum. So you actually have to, to Arby's point about the rock you need a lighter rock to rotate that club to square it. And when you start increasing that MOI, you start reducing that twisting. And what happens? You have a tough time squaring it. You're going to start leaving everything right. And you are really going to be struggling with it. So you can go ahead and load those up as much as you want. And all of a sudden, hello, Slice City, because <laughs> uh, you're not going to be able to square that club. So it's... It's like that sounds lovely. Uh, uh, just, just like I just want like a <laughs> slice, like a block. Give me, give me a block. Yeah, you just give want me, a, block a block and a slice. There. You know, and it's like, whoa! I just put a lot of lead tape on for this. It, it, it there's a reason that those clubs didn't succeed when we tested them on the robot. They did really well because we squared it on the robot. So, in a, it, it, the way that I figured it out was I put one in a normal size at the time. I can't even remember what it was, 380, 360, something. They were smaller heads back then. And then I put this thing on, and all of a sudden it at the same face angle, and it didn't square. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, this higher MOI that resists uh, impact twisting and hits the ball straight also resists rotation and leaves the club wide open as you come into impact. So Gene, dream, just Gene, you've been forewarned killer. now. Sorry, man. The dream killer. Mythbuster yeah, over here. Uh, anyway. All right. So that's that's sort of the idea behind 10K, uh, the potential for, for making it non-conforming. So let's get into to TaylorMade's QI10 drivers. So there are, there are multiple models in this lineup. No surprise there. You have... The QI10, just the standard head. You have a QI10 LS, which is going to be the low spin head. And then you have the QI10 Max. So the Max model, similar to the G430 Max 10K, that this is TaylorMade's 10K head. 
And if you looked at the three models in the lineup and you were to say, which one of these models would fit Colin Morikawa? <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think any of us would have selected the max version. Not and a that's chance. just because if, if you look, if you go back to 2020, the week before the PGA championship, Colin Morikawa switched to a tailor-made sim driver with a Mitsubishi Diamante D plus shaft. He's used this driver almost exclusively. Now he's tried to get into other tailor-made products, but he's used this driver almost exclusively um, through the through last year in December, the Hero World Challenge. And so I, I would guess that if one of us was posed the question, what driver is Colin Morikawa going to show up to the century with? We would have all said Sim. He's going to show up with Sim. It's it's a it's a low spin product. It's a driver for a guy who hits a, a go-to, you know, cut fade. This this is the driver that that he's had in the bag. It's worked for him. He's won two majors with it. He's going to stick with Sim. Colin Morikawa shows up to Century with a TaylorMade QI10 Max driver, and everybody was like, "What? What? What? What happened?" There's this is a really interesting this is a really interesting story here. I was going to say, there's something that I, the, the one, there was one quote that I caught from your story that we got from Taylor May when we came to the quotes that really stood out, but I'm going to let you go through it. And then I'm going to, I'll chime in on that. Cause I, I think to me, that was probably the most important thing that really comes down to much less the, the physics of the club head. Well, what was the, what was the quote? Cause now you got me curious. Colin prefers a shallower driver, a shallower looking driver. And the sim was very unique that it was very shallow and very low spin. Yes. And you get these drivers and to get that 10 K you, you pancake them, you push them down and they, they get bigger. Um, yep. and I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Cause there's a lot of players and Chris has talked about this in the past. What, and I've experienced this with, with product that I tested and I know we talked, we'll talk about it. Stay tuned for a club test debrief. Um, I tried a product that was very forgiving and I didn't like it. I went to a smaller club head and I really liked it cause it fit my eye and it fit the way that I wanted to feel a club release. And for Colin, he likes that fade and that bigger, smushier club head, pardon the technical term, um, fits his eye. And I think that is something that we talk, we don't talk enough about is the human element of what fits a player's eye. And I think it's it's really key. And it made sense. I read that quote, I thought, gosh, that makes so much sense. Because the LS is very deep face. It's it's shallower. It's not shallow. It's shorter heel toe. It's very, very deep face. It's great for a guy like Rory who wants to see that draw off the team more often than not. But it's not great for a fade player. And for Colin to see that driver that he's very confident in, like that's a great way to make a decision on a driver and then fit it to you. Yeah. I I 100% agree. And I think that that's the one piece that a lot of people aren't going to aren't going to recognize they're going to, they're going to read the article and they're going to see the spin numbers. I mean, Morikawa with the max was hovering around 2,300 RPMs on, on center strikes. And then he was 25 to 2,600 on those slight misses. And again, it matches up with what, what we were talking about with Ping G 40, 30 max 10 K, which is the spin deltas, meaning how much that spin changes when you miss it around the face the, the delta in relation to those center strikes is really tight. And like for a tour pro, if they can, if they can get into a more forgiving head, but keep those spin rates really tight, man, it makes a world of difference. And that's when you get the tour pros that will start to accept a max head over a low spin head. 
And because it's like, why would you not go with, with more forgiveness? And that's, again, th- this is, this is what 10 K can do, whether it's G430 max 10 K or whether it's QI 10 max. And I, I think this is going to be, I mean, Taylor may touted it RB this, this of the drivers in their lineup, the max is going to be, I would think, and they said it's going to be the, it's going to be the special one. Like it's going to be the one that everybody's going to be talking about. It's going to be their driver that a lot of the golfers are going to be clamoring for. And I think you're already seeing it. You're seeing it out on tour. And I think you're going to see it from, from recreational golfers soon enough when it comes out of retail. And, and Brooke Henderson was another one that's going to switch too at the, um, the, uh, yes, Q, Q, whatever the Nelly's Nelly's playing the max too. Yeah. Nelly Corda. So, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. While you guys were talking, I went back and looked at some historical data, and um, he's got a nine degree uh, QI ten max turned down, and the launch and spin characteristics are really comparable to his sim. So, um, it's see, so isn't that fascinating? Yeah, no, I mean that's what I was saying. You know, the um, it's. This year is a really interesting year uh, because everybody's products are different. Uh, TaylorMade's products are a little bit more on the lower launching side. Even the Sim, what's interesting about the Sim, or I mean Sim, I God, I got so many terms in my head. QI10 Max <laughs> is the nine is pretty boring, and then the ten and the twelve kind of go more traditional. So it's almost like they. Uh, you know, they knew or they had an idea for the faster swinging players that they were going to be able to provide something, you know, that, that provided that, uh, Callaway's is higher launching, much higher launching and lower spinning. Uh, ping is kind of in the middle, but ping has spin consistency that, you know, looks like it's, it far, um, excels compared to everybody else. So everybody has their own niche and we haven't even got into Cobra yet. And PXG, as we know, um, is, you know, just absolutely amazing in what they've done with launch and spin. So yeah, a lot to choose from. Yeah. If we, if we had a podcast where we could just spend hours on it and we just keep going, but we try to keep it to a reasonable number. And oh, by the way, this podcast is going to be long because we've already gone an hour. Was our, wasn't our goal 30 minutes on this <laughs> yeah. one? And when we said that, I'm like, there's, there's no way with, with the products that we're going to be talking about. And we haven't even discussed the elephant in the room here. Which is me? <laughs> no, it, no. It, we're talking about TaylorMade here. We're talking about about carbon. You know, there. Yeah. I feel like if you look at the last two years, TaylorMade took TaylorMade took some lumps. You know, they came out with carbon, and Stealth did reasonably well. But there were still a lot of people that are like, "Man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to carbon." Everybody else is still in titanium, and then Stealth Two came out. There were a lot of complaints about about the the durability of the stealth two face let's be honest like there were a lot of people that were saying i've i've sent in two three heads that have, you know the faces have cracked on them i you know i don't even know what to think anymore i, I will tell you this TaylorMade has taken a lot of this feedback to heart on the design of qi10 in ways to improve the overall durability of that face it is still carbon but i i will go on record and say this it, it took TaylorMade three years, but based on what we saw from our robotic testing and from what we've heard from our from our player testing panel, like they nailed it. And that's that's no bullshit here because you know, like 
this podcast, we're a little more open and, and free with, with our, with our feedback on products, but Taylor made nailed it with these clubs. And one area in particular that we'll get into in the robotic testing pod, but these things are really friggin' special, not just the max, but, but the core model and the LS I've had a lot of people ask me since the story came out, Hey, is the TaylorMade one any good? Yeah, it's really good. So I think, I think this is, you know, Gene mentioned Cobra is going to be having a comeback this year. I would 100% agree with that, but I think TaylorMade's having a comeback. They, they, oh, they did. They took their, they took their lumps with stealth too, but they've come back in a big, big way with QI 10. I don't want to say that they released it too early because, you know, you always have to have a first product in the marketplace to improve upon, but you know, they, um, they, they had their issues and they had their issues with where they had their issues with consistency, which was really weird, even on a robot. Um, and you know, it, once again, I'm operating in this bubble. I don't get, I don't have access to all the fancy, uh, uh, press releases and uh, you don't want those. Shrimp you don't want shrimp cocktails and uh, <laughs> yeah, consider yourself lucky. That's right, RB. <laughs> I just I just get the heads and I look at them and I'm like QI ten. I'm like, what is you know? I'm like, yeah. that's a that's kind of fun that way. Odd. I like it. I like no, it, it, it's it, a little it, bit it, of like the blind testing. I like that. it totally is. And yeah. then and then I test it and you know when you test it, you're just you're concentrating on the data. And then I started analyzing the data. I'm like, whoa, look at that. There's not much drop off in distance. Whoa, look at that. There's not much drop off in distance. Whoa, you know. And when it, I start getting those excited texts from Gene, I know, I know that it's a good product. And I'll wow. get them sometimes where he's like, man, this is really good. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just really excited to share that. Like, wow, these guys are back and these guys have done something good. 100%. And, you know, I would totally agree. Yeah. They are back. Um, anyway, all right. Anything else, boys? If not, I'm going to tie a bow on this pod and and jump it to Tomo. We good? I'm good. good. All right. Let's do that. All right. As I mentioned, RB and I had a chance to speak with Tomo Bystead. We had Tomo on the podcast before. He is the man when it comes to TaylorMade's Carbon Woods division. And we did a pretty extensive deep dive on QI-10. A lot behind the design a little bit behind how things have changed from year one to year three. Tomo's always a fun interview. gives a lot of, of really thoughtful answers. Enjoy it. Tomo, how are we doing? Doing great. Doing great, John. All right. So I, I want to get into some stuff with, with the new TaylorMade QI-10. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you set up at, at the top was that you're not making the trade-off. We're breaking the trade-off. Mm-hmm. And the trade-off is this balance between forgiveness and speed. Um, it's as I'm, I want you to talk about. It's so difficult because mm-hmm. I always, and I've said it on this podcast before. I liken it to levers. Typically, when yeah. you when you pull one lever, you've got to lift off of, of one. There's there's a trade-off here. Right. Um, but you all have something special in the mix mm-hmm. this year, particularly with with this Max driver. But like, walk listeners through how difficult it is to get to 10k with with this QI10 Max driver because yeah. yes there are three there are three drivers in this lineup mm-hmm. you've got the the core of the QI10 you've got the the Max and the LS but there's something special about this this Max driver yeah so there's 
<clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there, obviously, with, um, you know, that trade-off that you talked about, the speed or distance and on one hand and then forgiveness on the other side. And I think as, as you get into the weeds of designing golf clubs, you know, there's all these little things you can change on it to, to change the performance like one way or the other. You can add a little bit more CG this way or that way, and all of a sudden you get something that's better on the forgiveness side, but maybe it's a little slower, a little shorter, and it's a little spinnier. And, and I think for us it was, you know, part of this whole reason why golf clubs are nowhere near the, the limits of performance yet, you know, because obviously there's rules, but one of the reasons that even though there's 460, there's CT limits and all that, there's still a lot of runways because no one has fully broken that trade-off. And every driver in the market today, there's you're kind of picking what you want. You're, it's a little bit of a menu of, do I want the longest drives, my, be, my, my best drives to be the longest, or do I want just more consistency and more forgiveness, and I'm okay to give up five, 10 yards on my, on my good ones, you know? And so that's the sort of mentality that we had going into this of like, now that we have carbon faces and we've, you know, spent the, you know, the last decade kind of perfecting the idea of like bonding together all these different elements of a, of a, of a driver head, you know, whether it's the, the face or the sole panel or the, or the crown. Uh, and obviously now also with the composite ring on the back, you know, now we have all that weight that we have. Now we can really take advantage of that in a way that we weren't able to before. And, you know, I don't think anyone's made the perfect driver yet. Um, and the perfect driver probably doesn't exist even, but this uh, really allowed us to make a massive leap forward to get closer to that goal, you know? And I think that's what we're excited about going into next year is you're gonna have a driver that, hey, it's gonna tick the box and tailor-made speed that you're used to seeing, the distance that you're used to seeing with tailor-made clubs, but it's gonna show up with a totally different level of forgiveness and stability that you probably haven't seen before. So that's, that's what excites us at the end of the day. So you managed to to get to this magical 10k number with with a with a carbon face, mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder like how far back did you start looking mm -hmm. at trying to get to 10k? Do you think you could have gotten there if you weren't in in carbon? Like, yeah. what's what's that process been like? Yeah, that was that's a really good question because it's sort of you know going back to the earliest conversations. I remember having this conversation with some of the guys on the team back in probably 2017, as far as I can remember. Then there, there could have been some before that, before I was working in the Woods Woods team. But um, that's when this whole idea of like, you know, could we one day get to 10K? And this was before the carbon phase was a done deal. So we didn't know that we were going down that road. And so we were thinking back then of like a tie face driver getting to that number. Um, and I think as we started unlocking the, the carbon phase, we started looking at this more seriously. We were like, okay, now this could be an achievable goal where we don't sort of abandon all the things that we, we love about our product, which is you know distance and all those great things, but, but we were able to maybe break that trade off in a way that wasn't possible. You know? And so certainly since we started Stealth, we have had this in the back of our minds of getting there. But obviously with Stealth, there were so many other things that we had to solve essentially. And, and you know, there's a million things on that driver that's brand new and industry first, et cetera, that you know, you're not gonna tackle all those things on day one. And this was sort of a perfect, I guess, third generation thing. It was like, you know, get your, get your um, face working in the club, generation one. Stealth two is more like, okay, now optimize materials within the club and then 
now we're third generation, we're unlocking what that can do sort of thing. No, another part of that as well is, which I think consumers are going to notice right off the bat. There's like, there's two times that a consumer notices a golf club Mm -hmm. when they see it sitting on a rack and when they set it down behind the ball and not just with the max, but with the rest of the line, including the fairy woods and into the hybrids, there was a, a, distinct change in the geometry Mm -hmm. what's that process like when you say you know if you have a consumer that's used to looking at a certain shape and you say to yourself like we're going to showcase you the benefits of this and also really kind of change the the aesthetic of what this golf club looks like because when the first pictures came out of rory hitting it in dubai Mm -hmm. people were golf club nerd junkies are they're sickos and we love them they were like, it looks a little bit more rounded. Like, it looks mm-hmm. like the shape is different. What mm-hmm. is that decision? Is it really driven by the performance element mm-hmm. of it? Yeah. So, you know, I think as a, as a brand, uh, we are very concerned about the sort of the sub- subjective things as well as the, the objective performance things. Like, we care a lot about the sound and feel of a driver. We care a lot about how it looks behind the ball. Just that sort of emotive feeling that golfers have about certain clubs. And so... For us, this was kind of a, a, ch- a challenging year in a way. It was good and bad because in terms of the the Infinity Carbon Crown that's on these products, doing away with the top line, you know, we were really excited about that. We were like, this is going to be the cleanest Carbon Crown thing you've ever looked at. Like, this is going to be so cool looking. It's going to be so clean looking. Players of all levels are going to really like how this sets up behind the ball. Uh, but we are introducing a bunch of new shapes, you know, and so the, the new in the QI 10 and then the QI 10 max, especially that longer shape, that was a lot of grinding on little tiny curves and details to make it look like a tailor-made product. There have obviously been bigger footprint clubs in the past. And, and, you know, if you guys were being honest with yourselves, like some of them, you probably didn't like that much and probably wouldn't play them. Um, and our goal was to make three drivers at three different shapes that, any player of any ability would be happy to play it. You know, it may not be what you're used to exactly. And we've certainly had this experience with some tailor-made people who are like, wow, this is a lot bigger than I'm used to. But lo and behold, three or four swings in and you get the results. You're like, yeah, I could totally get used to this. You know, how has the, uh, what, again, what makes it unique is partly is that infinity crown on the top. How much has the process has changed from obviously predating going with the carbon crown even, mm-hmm from like welding parts together to now using adhesives that are, are obviously like incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. The, the, like that saves a ton of weight. Like every single one of those like grams saved adds up to mass you can put in the back because the back weight, especially on that max driver is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the one of the things that we wanted to do, we've been wanting to do for a while with golf club, I guess, manufacturing in general is to, modernize the way clubs are made like if you if you look at uh, a traditional titanium driver um it's it's like heavy industry type stuff it's like a lot of welding and casting and you know belts and it's like it's a very industrial process and if you compare that to like let's say like how an iphone is made you know and, and everything's precise and everything is either bonded or screwed in and it's ever, everything's really precise and every part is like either machine it's, it's all very high precision. We wanted to take it that way and being, uh, and moving to carbon composites and bonding has allowed us to get more precise. And I think one of the benefits that we don't really talk about, but it is a big benefit with our product in general is that it's super consistent part to part, you know, in terms of either face geometry of not having any polishing on the face 
or just the gram weights of each of the heads because we uh, use automatic robotic dispensers for the adhesives on all the panels. So it's exactly, you know, whatever, 1.4 grams each time that this part gets bonded on, you know, so every, every thing has a lot of just precision to it. And, uh, and ultimately, we think that makes a better golf club. If you can get every part coming out exactly the same, no variation. So when you get fit, you test the club, the one that you get in the mail a week later, is going to have exactly the same performance as the one you tested. So one of the things I think golfers are going to notice when they look at this lineup, that there is no call out to an HD. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's also going into the, to the fairway woods, but you know what if somebody were to go and, and look at this lineup and say well which one's for me mm-hmm. what would your what would your i guess what would you say is like the golfer that fits into each one of these three buckets for the driver yeah it's a good question i think you know one of the things that we have always felt has been tricky is sort of like how do you how do you uh, create buckets or how do you pigeonhole golfers into certain products uh, we know one product doesn't fit all, you know, everybody, there's a lot of different swings out there. It's swing speeds, ability levels, club presentation, all those things are different. And you really can't make one driver that works for Rory and then one, uh, driver that works for just your average golfer. Usually there has to be differences in the heads. And so, but what we try to do is with this line is first of all, be very, um, as clear as possible in terms of the description of the clubs, what they do. So LS for the low spin. And then for the max, you know, you mentioned, you know, going away from HD, uh, which was our high draw product. And one of the things that, again, we've kind of learned about it is, you know, you golfers don't necessarily want draw. They want to hit it straighter. So whatever your shot shape might be, uh, which for a driver, most people hit it right or for a right-handed player. So a fade or a slice. And if you can make a a club that's easier to turn over and square up, that's going to be a plus. So, Although this Max product is actually more easy to square up than our HD product was la- was last year, we don't call it draw. But I guess in, in a technical sense, you could say it's more draw biased than our HD was. You know, but it's just it's more of the. We want to be more descriptive of what it does. Like I think sometimes you you say it's draw this, draw that. People expect to automatically just hit draws with it. You know, you know, right? And that necessarily going to happen. It's like you're you're. 20 yard cut is going to be a, maybe a five yard fade, you know, or a guy who fades a little bit can now hit a straight shot finally, you know, that kind of thing. And that's really the goal. And that's kind of why we named it differently for that reason. So one of the things getting into the aesthetics of this driver that I think people are going to notice one, the face colors different. It's blue instead of red on the, on the retail driver that you're going to see. Do people not like red? Like, what's what's the deal? It, it, it felt like one of those colors where you know it, it stood out. It was was the feedback that that golfers wanted to see something more subdued. Did you just want to change it up because of you know you don't want to stay with the same face color for three years? You now? know, it, it, it's a great question. I think we for the first carbon face, we wanted to make sure nobody missed it. Like it, this was like a, we couldn't make it a subtle, like a light gray or something. It was like, this has to stand out. People are like, what is that? And we felt for version two, again, like immediately pivoting some other color was, would be a little bit weird. So we stuck with red for two generations. But I think for this one, given how much new kind of how many new ideas and technologies have gone into this product, we wanted to signal that to the market of this is a different product. So that's that's one side of it. The other part of it is. From a performance standpoint, we uh, 
we noticed that there was some people who would, when they saw the red face, would maybe aim to the target with the bottom of the face or the middle of the face. Some people would aim with the top line. So there were some differences in how people lined it up. And we were like, well, it'd be great if we could have a, just a simple thing that everybody lined up the same way, like just how you would with a putter. And so we kind of darkened the face and then added that, that sort of light gray top line on the product. And um, again, when we, when we look at colors, it could have been like a dark green or you know whatever, but d obviously blue is um, a color that I think a lot of people like, that it's a very universal color. Um, and it felt like a natural pivot away from the red. You mentioned the kind of the alignment that runs along the, the top of the face, which first started in, in the fairway. Fairwoods, yeah. I was wondering how often, it feels like a lot of tech that starts in drivers tends to transition in the fairways. How often do you kind of take something from, in, from the fairways and go mm -hmm. the opposite direction? Yeah, that doesn't happen very often, to be honest. Um, and this is one of those rare cases where it did, where we had a lot of good feedback on the fairway. Um, and knowing that we were going to have a more tonal face to crown situation, we were like, this is an idea that worked great on the fairway. And then with the um, top line being kind of in the face design, we were able to implement it really easily with the driver. So yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but once in a while it worked. And in this case it did. One of the other ones that... Do you guys mind if I just take a quick five second break? I'm just going to run the back. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. There you go. Now we're back. Yeah, because I hit the pause button. Cool. Excellent. We're back. Now, another technology that went from the fairy wood, when we saw it, I believe originally in the M5, saw it in, in the, the Stealth 2 Plus, was, and again, moved into the new LS model, is the way the weight is configured in that driver is rather than having the two pieces, you actually just have a stationary screw yep. and the weight moves in. So when people look at that initially, I think the idea is, oh, the weight track actually looks shorter, but in reality, it's, it's bigger and it's lighter mm -hmm. and it has less moving parts. Correct. Exactly. Yep. So like, was that like a, a consciousness again, just to save mass, to be able to create mm -hmm. higher MOI, but still not sacrifice that adjustability? Yeah. We, uh, like you said, M5 was the first time that weight system showed up. And obviously on uh, stealth to plus fairway woods, we added the kind of garage element where it kind of goes into the club a little bit. Um, and on the driver, this had been a, a thing that we'd looked at in the past. It's quite hard to execute on the driver for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of movement in that part of the club. Uh, and so what the weight wants to move in the track. And so when you have movement in the track, it creates like sound. And so there's kind of structural issues. And so this took a while to figure out. Uh, but we did a lot of engineering on the fairway woods that helped us kind of troubleshoot and solve this problem. But yeah, there was a lot of like engineering around the curvature of the weight relative to the track. But now that we've kind of figured it out, it does uh, solve a lot of problems in terms of keeping that area relatively flexible, um, adding more weight into the mass itself, and then obviously being able to have it kind of go underneath into the club a little bit. Yeah, because that helps with aerodynamics too, which I think is something that is, you know, we saw and you'd mentioned previously, like from the sim driver, like that was something where, you know, most golfers look at a driver and think, oh, it's, a it's symmetrical. But mm -hmm. in reality, being something somewhat asymmetrical on the sole actually is beneficial from an aerodynamics perspective. Exactly. I mean, the the, the speed in your swing is generated uh, to a large part in that bottom part of your downswing when the face is open to the path. Uh, and so when we measure aerodynamics, we measure it sort of in a few different positions prior to impact. And most of that airflow is coming not over the crown, but under the sole and from like an open face position. 
And so this really helped with that airflow. And again, you know, we're not talking several miles an hour or anything, but again, in the realm of somebody like Aurora or Scottish Shelf or somebody who's fast in general, you know, it can be, you know, tenths of a mile an hour and sometimes half a mile an hour clubhead speed, which again, is, is a tangible benefit in, in speed and distance. Now, now moving to the Fairy Woods, very similar lineup there. We have a, we have a core model, we've got the max model, and then there is the, the LS, or actually, sorry, the tour model. Tour model. There we go. See, some, some <laughs> different naming again. Uh, but that max model, once again, is a big standout based on the fact that you've taken the MOI of that driver essentially and kind of shrunk it down to a, a fairywood size same size as the previous hd talking 200 cc's mm -hmm. but even more forgiveness and a shallower face height just to help golfers hit it off the fairway because yeah. if i think if, if any golfer is going to admit that they struggle with one club off the ferry it's going to be the three wood and this design change is a big help yeah we um you know we've you know even if you just look at like player testing that we do and we do player testing on every club category uh, the hardest club to get good data on is, is three woods because even good players don't hit them very consistently. And so we know that it, like anything we can do to build some consistency into the product uh, can have a massive benefit for golfers. And so, and I think one of the things that has happened, I think a little bit with Fairwoods over the last few years is, is there's been, a, been an arms race for distance. You know, we, we were at the forefront of distance back in the M2 days and, and, you know, we made some really long product and, and the industry Rocket balls days. Rocket balls days. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you can go back to rocket balls days. And then it's been this race to like for every company to, to make the longest possible fairway woods. And I think somewhere in the mix was lost of like, let's make them really easy to hit, make them go higher. Now, for some people, that's going to mean that they don't go as far because they're, you're launching it higher and all that. But the benefit and sort of forgiveness and consistency you, a lot of times is going to outweigh that that kind of sacrifice in, in a way. And so we wanted to make sure that for our lineup, what, that we had something that kind of ticked all the boxes for different players. And obviously with our QI10 product um, is designed to sort of cover all the base a little bit. So that's why you'll see QI10 on tour with guys like Scotty Scheffler, but then in the bags of just your average, you know, 15 handicap player as well. Um, but the Max is the one that I think a lot of people should play, you know, and I think... You know, if you look at the tailor-made employees, for example, like a lot of people who are single digits play the max or they play the HD last year because of the fact that I'm looking to hit that a certain yardage and this is the most consistent way for me to get there. So the first thing that I think golfers are going to notice when they set this thing down is it doesn't look like a, like a recent tailor-made fairway wood. And, and that has to do everything with the crown. Mm -hmm. I mean, this... I, I set it down for the very first time and it looks like a looks like you shrunk the driver <laughs> it's it's all carbon on the top which I know is is a difficult thing to do but but what was the reasoning behind getting away from having kind of that that steel and the carbon and, mm -hmm. and being able to fashion those two together I know some golfers might go oh man that was my way of being able to mm -hmm. to kind of line you know use it as an alignment aid but sure. what, was, what was the reasoning behind going to all carbon yeah so ultimately you know I think we you know performance kind of comes first in the sense that you know if you can lower the CG you can save some mass you take it you know and I think for us um, if you've again watched the evolution of, of our all the way from M series to Stealth 2, carbon crowns got bigger and bigger each time because we can save more mass. And so then the natural thing was, can we eliminate the top line entirely and replace it with carbon? 
And again, knowing that the the couple of grams you can save from that is going to be helpful in the rest of the performance. But also, I think if you have the top line in the face, like we have that laser top line for alignment, you don't really need those other lines. And in fact, those other lines can potentially throw you off a little bit because it's like you're like you don't know where you're looking. Am I looking at the edge of the carbon to line up the club, or am I looking at the leading edge? Am I looking at the, you know so? having a singular point of focus was something that we saw even in player testing have, have better results. And so, you know, it was, it was a pretty easy decision. And I think just the sort of, you know, the quality, the premiumness, the lustfulness of products. I mean, sometimes that just comes through and it just looks better, you know, and I think ultimately golfers to a lot of extent, they, they, they sort of, you know, emotion takes over sometimes when they buy products too, and they have to look good. Yeah. Uh, going back to something that we'd already discussed in the drivers with, the changing of the naming, um, sim- similar here in the fairways, but and again, people are going to wonder: Do you have do you have a, a you know an HD version in the fairways? Yeah. So again, it's the same as the the, the driver in a way where, you know, we've actually built in a, a little bit more ability for the golfer to square these clubs up. We've we've moved the heat, the CG right to the center face. Usually, the CG is a little toward on, on most woods, like. Fairway woods drivers are mostly a little toward. We really move this CG to the center face, so a little bit more heelward than some clubs to help the golfer square it up. So actually, these are easier to square up than HDs, even though we don't have draw in the name anymore. Um, and so we're still delivering that kind of performance. But again, it's more about hitting the ball straight as opposed to like all of a sudden hitting draws. And we also know that golfers, you know, they don't necessarily respond well to the word draw on product. As you guys have probably seen as well, like it just, because I think in some ways golfers, first of all, they don't want to have training wheels. I think that's clear. And then the other part is if you commit yourself to saying, I'm going to get a draw bias driver, fairway, whatever. Well, what happens to your irons? You know, like, do you have to put a different swing on the irons now? Or like, is the rest of your bag not matching up? You know, and I think ultimately what we're trying to do is give golfers a set that they can hit all the clubs straight with the same swing <laughs> and you're not having to to manipulate anything, right? And so that's kind of the goal. And I think sometimes we, we try to overcomplicate it a little bit with things like right bias. The other thing we found out that was kind of surprising too in some of our research is people don't know what the word bias means. And so when you say draw bias, they don't like, what are you talking about? It's not clear. So we're like, let's just talk <laughs> talk about what it is. It just helps you hit the ball straighter. Yeah. Is that is that a difficult thing to do, when especially again if we're talking about the max product, not just in the in the driver but in the fairy wood as well, and even so much as in the hybrid, which mm-hmm. is built on a larger footprint to help make the like make it more forgiving, higher MOI, launch higher, shallower club face, all of those things. But when you're dealing with the geometry of the fact that the head is longer, heel toe, mm-hmm. front to back, you would think that naturally the center of gravity is going to move away from like the shaft axis, axis of rotation. Yep. But because of the lighter nature of all the components that are there, it does free up. It, it creates a like you know we always say like you got something to play with in the sandbox, right? Like you only got so yeah. much sand in the sandbox. That's right. So you've got this ability to you know save a lot of sand in this mm-hmm. area. Now you can really move it where you want, but maintain the geometry in the again driver fairywood hybrid even to get the performance characteristics without making it look a specific way. Like if you think back to like some older draw bias product, even like a burner draw from like 09. Oh yeah. Which had a very, very heel bias shape to it. And like a closed face and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're basically creating the same, if not more draw Mm -hmm. bias in modern product 
without having to sacrifice those looks. Yes. That's a great observation, by the way. Like we, um, I don't this think is the I, stuff that lives in my head all the time. Yeah. And honestly, honestly, it, this is such a great point because I think one of the things that a good golf club designer does, um, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna look, look, put myself or, or or me in that group. But I'm saying what what a good designer does for any product is to sort of give the consumer visually what they want to have, what gives them confidence, what they think looks good, but then give them the performance that they need, right? But a lot of times it means means hiding that, right? So you hide where you put the weight, and it's not doing the shapes that you mentioned. Like Burner Seven Draw is a great example. That club had super heel bias head shape five degrees close face angle and like if you're a decent player i mean you couldn't even look at it you know and and the premise was like hey but the golfer that needs that this is going to work best for them forgetting that all golfers are aspirational to some extent right and you doesn't matter what your level is or what your shot shape is you want to have a club that good looks good behind the ball and so we strive to make clubs of all types look good behind the ball they sit straight nothing sits closed in our lineup and and you do the work on mass properties and things like that kind of behind the scenes. You know, you kind of hide it, um, but then give them the performance that you need. So, yeah, it's a good, I like that question. I think, Arby, y- you do have a lot of you know, good stuff in your head. I think that's a good place to, uh, <laughs> a good place to end this interview, Tomo. Okay, thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, and thanks again to Tomo for the time. That will do it for a lengthy episode 223 of Fully Equipped. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you haven't subscribed to the Fully Equipped YouTube channel, make sure you do that. The YouTube channel again is at Fully Equipped Golf on YouTube. We'll keep churning out more videos here in the coming weeks because as we mentioned before, there's still a lot of gear left to be released. Um, Also, we are on the social channels as usual at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at Fully underscore Equipped on Twitter. Thanks as all for listening. Man, if you made it to the end of this podcast, good for you because it was a long one. We'll see you next week.